Well, it is an absolute privilege to be preaching as a part of this series on being a light in the darkness. And I don't know how intentional this was. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there was some intention to it. But in the first week, Matt talked about how the people of God um, should, be particip- should participate, but they should be peculiar. That is different or strange, <laughs> unusual, set apart, and that they should have principles. And then as it happened, what followed on from that was that Luke talked about what makes us peculiar or different. He talked about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit in us is what sets us apart from everyone else. And then last week, Raf spoke brilliantly about participation, how we participate in work, how we um, contribute with excellence and godliness to our society. And so this week, I'm talking about principle, just to round out this sort of series within a series, I suppose. I'm talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from Daniel 3. And I've asked my friend Catalina to read that for us. It's quite a long chapter, um, but please do listen to all of it because I feel like God really wants to speak to us through the uh, grand overarching narrative of this story. So over to you, Catalina. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If you are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's, uh, the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads sinked. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire in them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Thank you, Catalina. That was brilliant. Um, so I drew three themes about how they stood by their principles from this story. And so I'm going to go through them, and hopefully you can apply them to your life as well. Uh, they recognized their pressures, they resisted quietly, and they relied on God. So firstly, recognizing pressure. One of the strange qualities about this passage is that uh, they repeat so many things. There are all these turns of phrases that come up over and over again. So you hear the list of all of the powerful people, satraps, judges, etc. That's listed twice. You have the threat of the fiery furnace listed three times. And you get this list of instruments five times in this passage. Bagpipes and lyres and harps. The implication being there was a lot of noise being made, a lot of music. And I think this is so that you uh, get the sense of the weight of everything that was against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They want you to feel all of these things were stacking up against them. And it's, it's the political powers, it's the cultural powers, and then it's the, the, the power over life and death. And in spite of all of these things piling up against them, they resisted, they they saw these pressures and they said, no, we're going to choose God instead. 
Now, the most obvious one of these threats is the fear of death, that fiery furnace that threatens them. And I'm going to talk a lot about the other two, uh, and I'm going to talk in kind of symbolic ways and prophetic ways. But it's important to note that first and foremost, this passage is one about people whose lives were threatened because of their faith. And while thankfully we live in a country where violent persecution is really rare, for about 350 million Christians around the world, they experience violent persecution every day. And uh, about 10 Christians a day die for their faith, probably over that actually. Now, I can't go into that too much. Mark Hine from Open Doors did an excellent sermon for us at the beginning of the year. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. But before I move into things like symbolism, it's always important when reading the Bible to take it at its, its first value, which is a story of people's lives being threatened as a result. And that should be our first interpretation of the passage. The first thing that we recognize is that for many, many Christians around the world, this is a life or death decision for them. And if you feel stirred just on that point, I would encourage you to pray, to look more into open doors, perhaps considering persecuted Christians financially as well. But the reality is, for most of us, we're more likely to face these other two pressures, that kind of hard power of politics and that soft power of culture, the people around us um, and the, the culture that we consume. I think it's really telling that uh, Nebuchadnezzar used music to whip up the people into a fervor to worship him. And music is powerful. Music is designed to elicit emotions in us. And we have more cultural pressures than that even today. We have music. We have television. We have film. We have social media. We have um, books and, and all sorts and blogs and Twitter and whatever. All of this piling up to, to get us essentially to love something other than God, to distract us away from our first love. That, that was the challenge for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here. And don't get me wrong, I'm not telling you we can't listen to that stuff, we can't watch films, we can't watch TV. I think the point here is to recognize where the pressure is coming from, to identify things in your life where perhaps what this is doing is asking me to, to love something else first. We are kind of exiles in Babylon, and we, we are surrounded by a culture that is not our own. We're outsiders here, so we shouldn't actually expect um, the, the kind of art that we enjoy to necessarily align with our values. And so we need to ask useful questions. Um, ask questions like, is this prestige, big-budget television show causing me to sin sexually? Is this music that I'm listening to just bringing out kind of a side of me that means I, I'm more mastered by my emotions or, or it's making me desire kind of a romantic relationship above anything else? Um, are my, views being, are my views of the world being shaped by reality TV more than they are by the gospel? Or perhaps it's even just down to like, just enjoyment. Is your first love culture? Do, do you spend more time extolling the virtues of that art than you do singing praises to God? Or is it just that, you know, you, you spend too much time watching location, 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 and you end up uh, desiring... Uh, the good life and a good house 
more than you're pursuing the calling of God in your life. Don't get me wrong. I really don't want you to kind of live in fear of culture. Um, there's so much common grace through enjoying art that, that we all get to benefit regardless of whether we're Christians or not. Um, and, you know, we have been encouraged to participate in it. But just recognize that everything out there is, it has a message. It has a purpose behind it. And actually, you can have a richer appreciation of art and culture when you see that there's a message behind it. And, and perhaps a lot of the time, it's wanting to call you away from your first love. Art itself can be the idol. And I just think there's a caution in that um, to, to recognize that first and foremost, our, our principles call us to, to love God above all others. The second point is to resist. And I've said, and this could be a bit controversial, I've said resist quietly. Um, and already some of you might be raising your hackles a bit. You know, aren't Christians supposed to live their faith out loud? But I see something here in the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and in fact in the way Daniel responds, that just has a, a quietness to it, perhaps peace, or peacefully might be a better word, that I think we can take some inspiration from. Now, absolutely, we're supposed to evangelize. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Live your faith out loud. And absolutely, we are called to speak up on issues of justice, to uh, advocate for the marginalized, the voiceless, the oppressed. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying keep quiet about those things. But at its heart, this is an issue about your personal faith with God, whether your relationship with God can uh, resist the tides of culture. And I think sometimes we have a tempt temptation to complain about culture, to complain about everything, about how we're outsiders. But if we see ourselves in the first place as exiles in Babylon, then really we shouldn't be surprised that everything is different. And so I, I, I just see... A, a, just a quiet certainty, a, a peacefulness about the difference of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that characterizes their response. It's notable that when the command comes in to worship Nebuchadnezzar, we don't see them starting a petition. We don't see them complaining to the king. We don't hear anything, actually, about their choice to resist. It's just that their enemies picked up on the fact that they weren't doing it. Daniel was the same with the story of the lion's den. He doesn't complain, but he also doesn't hide his faith. He doesn't go into secret, but he just carries on doing things his own way. And there's something about it just being an internal thing or, or, or a decision that you make in the secret, quiet place with God that you're going to live differently. And actually, I think that's more powerful than getting into fights and arguments and complaining all the time. And so, yes, justice and evangelism, be loud about those. But when it comes to being kind of outsiders and exiles, which we are in our culture, just keep doing what you're doing with faith, integrity, peace. When I was reading this, I was reminded of Jeremiah's letter to the exiles, which if you're doing the Reading God's Word Together plan, we actually covered it last week in Jeremiah 29. And... Uh, that's the, you, you know the passage, for I know the plans I have for you. Um, 
And that letter was actually written, if I've done my homework correctly, I might get corrected, but put something in the comments if I'm wrong about this. But if I'm right, that was written to Daniel's generation. It was that generation that Jeremiah was writing to. And his letter said, get used to being in Babylon. Stick around. Grow gardens. Have families. Don't have your backpack, bags packed ready to come back to Israel. You're going to be there a while. And I, I just got a sense reading this of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego really taking that message to heart, particularly the line that says, um, also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. They lived this out, not always looking for a fight, but just carrying themselves with real dignity and integrity and just doing things differently. And of course, people noticed they didn't need to, to stir things up because their difference was, uh, was enough. Christians are called to live like this, I think. Because if you look at Romans 12, it says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, Live in harmony with one another. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Or, in other words, seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which you've been placed. There are some things you cannot control. You actually can't control how people are going to respond to your faith. You know, even this great story of Nebuchadnezzar at the end of it, uh, saying, you know, now we're going to respect and honor the gods of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, in the next chapter, he's saying, okay, time to honor me again, and God actually has to bring him low. There's a cycle of these things where people just don't get it. You can't control whether people are going to be indifferent, whether they're going to hate you, whether they're going to even notice you at all. What you can control is how you respond to difficult situations. And no amount of complaining would have changed Nebuchadnezzar's command or would have changed the hostility that uh, people in Rome that Paul was writing to would have had against Christians. And it's not going to change, actually, how the people of Edinburgh, 21st century Edinburgh, see you. Now, why am I highlighting the quietness of this resistance? Well, because I think, actually, we live in the digital era and life online is tempting you to be people of anger, despair, and uh, sort of combativeness. Websites make money from keeping your attention fixed on them. So, so it's an attention economy. Uh, they, they make money by you staying on their website. And they often keep you on their website by riling you up into anger, by causing you to fight, by uh, tribalism, you know, organizing people into different groups, and by leading you into despair. That's how these websites keep you on. And so they are designed to make you angry, to make you despair, to set one group up against another. Can I urge you, Christians, to, um, to live peacefully, to encourage harmony with one another, and probably, probably just don't engage with these things. Resist just by living differently. Again, I'm not advocating for passivity. Speak up when it, it is time to speak up. But what I'm saying is that sometimes resistance comes in the form of several cumulative small acts of obedience. And in that obedience, that's where you find God. 
and people will notice. People will, people will see that you're living differently. And then when they finally get around to asking you about it, because you've lived as a person of peace, they're going to want to hear what you have to say. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they won people over to them uh, in the story of the kind of the refusing the king's food. They won people over to them. They lived as people of peace. We don't have to constantly make a fuss. We just have to live differently. Resistance to this culture, resistance to the pressures that are calling you to abandon your principles is just sticking to them, is living differently. There is a verse that Paul writes to Timothy where he says, avoid foolish controversies. And I can't help but think that that is the most relevant passage about social media in the whole Bible. Avoid foolish controversies. But one more point on this idea of quiet resistance. I'm here in the church because this is where uh, the resistance begins. This is where we quietly resist. If you're feeling fatigued by living in a culture that doesn't understand you, if you're experiencing cultural fatigue of just feeling like there's another thing that's just out to get Christianity, can I urge you, re-engage with church. This is your oasis in the desert. It's your field hospital in the war. It is your famine in the feast. Yes, we're exiles and outsiders, but this is a community of exiles. If you've been drifting on the edges, come back in, come back and discover the joy of being in a community of like-minded people where we encourage one another, we stir one another up to, to great things, uh, to, to live differently, to resist the, the, the tides of culture and to, to live in a God-honoring way. So, yeah, come, come, come to church, re-engage with church. This is where the resistance begins. My final point is rely on God. Now, even in spite of them being people of peace, they still managed to anger the king. And it, you'll notice it said his face changed. So just, just imagine the most powerful person in the country, just their face contorting with rage, just at them living differently. And so there will come times when people hate you for your faith. And it's kind of understandable, you know, at the heart of the, the gospel is dying to yourself. And we live in an era when the self is prized above all. And we say, die to yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. We have this glorious message of, um, you know, repenting of your sins and finding true freedom and life to the full in Jesus. But most people won't hear the second clause of that sentence. They won't get past the word sin. And they just have this sticking point. And so people are going to hate you for your faith. But look at how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond. They say, you know, our, our God is able to save us. He will deliver us from the fire. And even if not, we won't worship your idol. God is able. He will deliver us. But even if not, we're still going to worship him. He's able. He will deliver us. And even if not, we're still going to worship him. Make this your response to trials and tribulations. I'm going to link in the comments to an amazing sermon that PJ Smythe did several years ago um, where he talked about healing and he used this passage to talk about how he prayed for healing, how God would deliver him from his sickness and, 
but even if he didn't, he was still going to worship God. I would really encourage you to watch that. It's one of the best sermons I've ever heard. Um, but we can face all sorts of trials and tribulations with this attitude. Our God is able to deliver us. Whatever you're facing right now, God is able to deliver you from it. He, he is sovereign. He is seated above everything. He can bring breakthrough in your situation. He will deliver you. Pray with that kind of faith. I know my God is good. He is able. He's going to deliver me from this. Pray that. You're, you are free to pray that. You're free to pray with that level of faith that God is going to deliver you from whatever you're going through right now, from the trials that we're, we're all facing. But even if he doesn't, he is still God. He is still worthy of your praise. He is still worthy of your body as a living sacrifice. He's still worthy of your life. Yeah, we do live in a challenging time right now, but God is able. He is going to deliver you. But even if he doesn't, let's still worship him because he's God and he's saved you and he's giving you life to the full and he's promised you eternal life. And you know what? Best of all, he's going to be standing with you in the fire. There is a fourth man in that fire with them. They don't know who it is, but one like the Son of God is standing with them in the fire. We live in the new covenant where Jesus has promised us at the end of Matthew, surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. What an incredible promise. Um, and, and Jesus is with you now. He has promised you, surely I will be with you even to the end of the age. He's able to deliver you. He will deliver you. And he is with you. He is with you in the fire. He is with you in the trials. And this isn't to diminish the trials. I imagine they felt incredible fear as they faced this furnace. Wouldn't you? I imagine this was one of the worst, lowest moments of their life at that point. So I don't want to diminish what you're going through. But God is able he will deliver you, and he will be with you. And even, even if this, these trials last for a bit longer, he's going to be with you. And I just wanted to end, actually, on a prophetic note. Because when I was preparing this, I felt God speak to me and say, there is a prophetic power in this image that he wants to speak to some of you about today. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire, it was so hot that... The people throwing them into the fire actually died from the heat. Their clothes, however, didn't burn off. All that burnt off them was the rope that was binding them. And I just felt there was prophetic power in this image that you might feel like you are in the fire of a trial right now. But God is with you, and, and in this moment, he's actually burning off the things that, that are binding you. He's using this season to actually bring freedom. He's using this season to, to bring you into a, a new era. And he's, he's, he's burning off the ropes that have been binding you. And I just, I just felt like God really wanted to speak prophetically to some of you through this image of the ropes burning off in the fire. And if you're in a trial right now, maybe God is burning the ropes off you, burning off things that have previously bound you, and he wants to bring you freedom through the trial. And it comes with a promise that's with you. We're going to end by singing 
about how Christ is our hope in life and death. He is the one that is with us. He's the one that we can stand on. He's our foundation. He's, he's the one that we fix our eyes on through it all.